Amen. Glory. Yes. Somebody's fired up back there, I tell you. Say those amens till I get started here now. Next Sunday, I'm excited, as Tony was mentioning there a moment ago, for Men's Day, Men's Sunday. That's always a great day. And uh, my nephew, Mark Henderson, is going to be with us to speak next Sunday morning on Men's Day. And I'm looking forward to hearing Mark. Uh, I've never, he's never spoken much before. He's given his testimony a time or two. But he's scared to death, so you all be praying for him. He's going to come and share his story about overcoming addiction that God has been delivering him from and brought him through. Uh, he struggled for many, many years, but God has really begun to do a healing work in his heart and life, and he's excited about the Lord, and he's excited to come and share with us on Men's Day. And then uh, Sunday night is going to be a great night. We're having our chili cook-off, and we're going to be, our service will begin here at 4.30 next Sunday night, and we're going to have more testimonies, a lot of uh, lively singing from the praise band and all of that group. And we're just going to have a great time in the Lord. And then after the 4.30 service here, that'll last maybe an hour, hour and 15 minutes, whatever. However long it lasts, it'll last. Then we're going to the fellowship hall to eat chili. And it's going to be good. Now, Chris, where are you, buddy? Chris is back there somewhere. He was here. He hadn't got back around. He was going to look for hands. Well, somebody look for hands to be raised and count them. How many of you men are bringing chili? Raise your hands because we got to see them and know we got enough. Count them. One, two, three, four. We're going to fast next Sunday night. <laughs> Guys, what's wrong with you? Come on. Is that all? Got to see some hands out there bringing chili. All right. All right. There you go. We'll have at least. 10 to 12 batches of chili. So some of you guys need to repent before next Sunday so you could cook chili and bring it. And uh, because we we got to have a bunch of chili to eat because we've invited a lot of folks to come and be with us next Sunday night. And it's going to be a contest now. We judged it last year. We take some samples. Chris has a good way of us doing that. And, and man, I tell you, we had some great, great chili last Sunday night, or a year ago anyway. Well, anyway, stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. Would you turn to the book of Judges, chapter number 13? Judges are right over there. After you get started in the New Testament, you come through the opening books of uh, the Old Testament there, Genesis and Exodus on, you come to the book of Judges. The book of Judges was when Israel had no king. God wanted to be their king. God wanted to be their leader. Israel had no king. And God would raise up various people. They were called Judges. 
to rule during a time period. Like the story this morning, Samson, he ruled for, he was a judge for like 20 years during a key time of Israel's history. And so we see all of this taking place. Judges chapter number 13. I'm going to begin reading now in verse number 1. We'll read uh, just uh, a, a few verses here. Verse number 1 through 5. Again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. Now there was a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Dantes, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now, you are barren and have born no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink any wine, similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. I forgot my glasses last Sunday night. I forgot them again today. I have some reading glasses and or some glasses that I use for preaching and not this kind, but that has me messed up a little bit. So I'll remember them tonight. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we ask God that you will just um, overcome us and overtake us today, Father, with the power of your Holy Spirit and your mighty work that you want to do in our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray for this service right now. We're looking at a passage of Scripture, Father, that you have unveiled to us and are exposing to us that God can give a lot of hope and a lot of help to people if we respond to it the way that you want us to. I pray, God, that you will minimize our distractions. I pray, God, that you will help me to be focused and attentive to the Holy Spirit and what you want to say through me. God, may you just speak a powerful, powerful word. May our lives be challenged. May our lives be touched. May we be changed. God, we understand the seriousness of the day in which we live. The seriousness of the hour that is upon us. Now guide us, Father. We ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, please. When we read this passage of Scripture, we did not read the name Samson. And if I were to ask you this morning, what do you remember most about Samson? Many of you would say, I know that he was that guy in the Bible with that long hair. And this lady tricked him into cutting it. And she cut his hair and his power was all gone. 
And the Philistines overtook him. And the Philistines literally made a fool out of Samson at the end of his life. Well, you would know the gist of the story. But if, if that's all we know this morning about this story, about this passage of Scripture, then the devil has actually caused us as people that grew up in church to miss the power of it. And we've missed some of the great things that God wants us to know about this 13th chapter of Judges that's in relationship to Samson. Like we noticed last week, there was a miraculous birth to Abram and Sarah, and the birth was Isaac. We see it again this week, there is a a miraculous birth that takes place, and this time the baby is Samson. But the focus of the story of chapter 13 is not about Samson, it's about his parents. Now there are Three to four chapters here from chapter 13 on that tell the Samson story. But the 13th chapter, the one we're looking at today, is a chapter that deals with the parents and not the child. Hollywood has made billions of dollars on the story of Samson. But they didn't cover it from the biblical perspective. They covered it from the sensual Hollywood perspective. They cover Samson with the long hair, with the muscles, with the old down body, with all of that he got into laying in the lap of Delilah and being seduced and him seducing her. And Hollywood has gone crazy over this story through the years. But friend, if that's what we think and see in this story in the Bible, we're, we're missing the story. That's, that's not the story. That's the end of the story. But there's a lot goes on before that. And what I want to preach on this morning and what I want to share with us this morning in this series of Old, Old Testament families and their struggles is this. You've got it on your notes there. It's subtitles to this story. When parents do things right and it turns out wrong. That's what I want to preach about this morning. Do I have any listeners out there? When parents do things right and it turns out wrong. Because that's exactly what This man, Manoah, and his wife did. They did things right. It was not their fault that Samson did what Samson did. God blessed them. God had power for them. God used them. They loved God. They were devoted to God. They served God. They did exactly what God wanted them to do in raising their son. But Samson messed it all up and it all turned out wrong and it turned out to be a mess. That's the great thing about the Word of God. God just tells you in His Bible what it is in life. He doesn't sugarcoat it. 
If it's a mess, God tells you it's a mess. If people get it right, He says they get it right. If they get in sin and mess it up, He says they got in sin and mess it up. I love the Bible. It's a very clear book to read. There is another subtitle to this story. The heartbreak when parents watch their children destroy their lives. We got folks today that have been there. We got folks in this room, you know what I'm talking about. You have literally had to sit and watch. We have grandparents here today. You've literally had to sit and watch. Grandchildren, children, literally not listen to you, not respond to the things of God that you've tried to pour into their life. You've literally had to sit and watch them go out and destroy their lives and could do nothing about it. That's this story. Hollywood's not going to produce a movie about that. Wouldn't, wouldn't nobody go see it? Samson destroyed his own life and his own struggles. And it cost his family dearly. There's another subtitle here. And that is when a family blessing seems to become a family curse. Here is a couple, barren, cannot have children. And God answers their prayer and gives them a bouncing baby boy, smiling from ear to ear. They are so enjoying it, goo goo gaga, having such a great time with that little baby. And little did they know he was going to grow up to be the dude he grew up to be. They had no idea that little baby could change like that. Isn't that amazing? How an innocent baby can be so sweet and kind and nurturing and over a period of years can turn in to a raving maniac out there going around like, like Samson was. Samson was a jokester. He was a prankster. He was a man full of riddles. He must have been that fool Proverbs has written about. He gave all of these riddles to people and he did all of these things because he had all of his strength. Samson was a hulk before the hulk came along. He was a he-man before bodybuilding and all of that stuff happened. Samson was a strong, strong man. But by the way, friend, don't, don't be misled. Samson's strength was not where most people think it was. Samson's strength was not his hair. Samson's strength came from God. God gave him that strength. Because God had a plan that overruled Samson's foolishness. And God's good about that, isn't he? God can, can do things when we think we're messing it all up. But anyway, when a blessing became a curse. There's one other subtitle I want us to look at. And that is, a life can be redeemed in the final hour. And that's Samson. He wasted a whole life. But at the last hour, 
right before the clock struck midnight on his death, he got it right, right at the end of his life. And that gives me hope, that gives all of us hope. God is a God of great mercy and a God of great grace. Now tonight in the service, we're going to talk about Samson's death. We don't have time this morning. That is, unless somebody goes out and gets the chicken, goes down to Kentucky Fried and bring it back. You say, hey, we'd just rather stay all day rather than come back tonight. I'd love to get a church where we did that every week. We just had a big service in the morning. We ate a big lunch. We had the next service. We didn't come back at night. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Well, anyway, let's get on with the message. I'll, I'll quit rambling here. Notice our text for a moment. Verse number 1. I'm simply going to look at a few verses down through here, and then we're going to be finished, okay? I wanted you to see those subtitles, because those subtitles that I gave you are the meat of this story. Verse number one, we see an evil nation. And the evil nation is not the Philistines, it's Israel. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and God delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. My friend, do you and I understand that when we sin against God, God will let our circumstances and the problems around us grow and engulf us and almost devour us because God as His children, He wants us to repent of sin, not live our life in sin. And God will use our enemies. He will use heartache and difficulty in our life to come in and crowd around us to point us to Him. And that's what happened here. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so God said, okay, I, I'm going to have to deal with you now. I cannot let you be my people and live in sin. I'm going to use the Philistines to come against you and trouble you. Now in the same token, God is taking Samson and going to use Samson to defeat the Philistines or to try to defeat the Philistines. So that's how all of this thing works in the Old Testament. Number two, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 19, a godly couple that's devoted to each other and to God. There was a certain man from the Zorah, the family of the Dantes, whose name was Manoah, and he and his wife were barren and had no children. Now I'm going to quote the rest of this passage and tell you what happened in this couple that was devoted to God and devoted to each other. God sent an angel to appear to Miss Manoah. And he came and the angel said, I'm going to give you a child. You're going to have a baby. And the woman, the wife, was amazed at this angel. And she began to pray and think after the angel left and said, oh, I wish my husband had been here. He's not going to believe what happened. And she began to pray and said, God, would you send the angel to come back one more time and tell my husband this same story? And so the angel came back a second time. 
the woman, the wife runs and finds her husband and says, you need to come. You need to meet this angel. Now notice what's happening here. The scripture tells us in this chapter that this angel was called in scripture the angel of the Lord. God had sent this angel. And this angel is making this announcement about what is going to happen and you're going to have this baby and this baby is going to be a powerful a powerful baby and, and God's going to use him in a great way. And so the Bible says that the husband also meets the angel. They come together and this devout couple, devoted couple, serving the Lord, honoring the Lord, God uses them to bring Samson into the world. You'll notice in your outline that number three and verse number three that we're looking at. God often entrusts parents with a baby when he wanted to do something great in the world. Abraham and Sarah, God sent them Isaac. Aram and Jochebed, God sent them Moses. Hannah, God sent Samuel the great prophet. Mary, and God sent Jesus. One of the Bible writers I enjoy reading after is Warren Wiersbe. I've told you about him before. He's now in heaven with the Lord. Warren Wiersbe made this statement. He says, Many times when God wants to accomplish something great in the earth, He doesn't send an army. Rather, He sends a baby. And my friend, I think we can see a lot of truth in that, can't we? God works through people, doesn't He? God sends people. And God will send a person. God will give a family a person. God will give a couple a person. My mom and dad had me as their baby. And God sent me into their lives. And I shared with you a few weeks ago, I was on the road a little bit like Samson when God intercepted me and got me back on my face and on my knees and right with Him. And God said, I want to use you, Joel, to preach the Word, preach the Gospel. And I want to tell you something. If you're sitting there today and you're a parent, the best thing you can ever do is surrender your children to the Lord and say, God, I give you this baby. I give you this son. I give you this daughter. That daughter of yours may become a missionary and go around the world. May become a preacher and preach the gospel. May become a youth minister. You don't know what they might become. What they might be. My friend, we need to give our children to the Lord. But even at that, it doesn't guarantee you that your kids are going to do it, does it? doesn't guarantee your kids are going to turn out the way you hope. Samson sure didn't, did he? But that's what this couple were devoted to the Lord. They love God. They love their children. They love this boy. They dedicated to the Lord. Now, I want to get to a part here that really grips my heart. Look at this verse. Um, verse number 4 for a moment. The angel of the Lord is saying, Now, therefore, please be careful. Here are the dis 
the instructions to Mrs. Manoah, Manoah's wife. You're going to be pregnant now. Please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall be upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of of the Philistines. Now there was her marching orders in her pregnancy. This child I'm giving you is coming with some strings attached. This child is coming and I've got some stipulations here. Miss Manoah, this child you're about to have, miraculously as it's going to be, I'm giving you this child, but I want you to know something. He's going to be my child, but I'm going to entrust him to you. Now, that's the way all children are supposed to be, by the way, folks. We're entrusted with them as their parents. They don't belong to us. They belong to God. But now, notice what, what happened. He said, there, but this child is going to be a Nazarite, a Nazarite unto God. And said, Here, here's the key. I don't want you while you're pregnant to drink any strong drink. No wine, no any strong drink. I don't want you to eat any, any food that's unclean. And when this child is born, I don't want you to cut his hair, let his hair grow. That's the Nazarite vow. Now, we can go to the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy and we can read that same section in Deuteronomy, a section that talks about what it is to be a Nazarite. That was, that was the, 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 the way it was. A Nazarite was to drink no strong drink or wine, not to be defiled by touching a dead carcass of an animal or a dead person, and not to cut their hair. That's across the board in Scripture for a Nazarite. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. Okay, John the Baptist did the same thing. Okay, that's in Scripture. I think here's the key in all of this. When we see that and see those instructions, and Samson was going to be a Nazarite, listen closely to this. When Samson was born and began to grow up as a young man, he broke every one of those three vows of a Nazarite. Every one of them. He could have cared less. Now, God said he's to be a Nazarite. He's not to touch strong drink. He's not to touch a dead body or a carcass of an animal. And he's not to cut his hair. And Simpson, in his reckless life... He broke every one of those, so that meant he dishonored his mother, he dishonored his family, he dishonored his daddy, he mostly dishonored God in heaven who had separated him as a Nazarite. He blew it all. And he had fun doing it. He joked when he did it. He gave riddles when he did it. In fact, he, he was just a mess. That, that's all you can say about Samson. He was a mess. But look 
at how he started his life. God in his power doing a miraculous work in a godly couple is how his life began. But it wound up in a mess. When I think about that Nazarite vow, I got to thinking about that this morning when I, I got up and I, I just began to think about that and pray about that some more. A Nazarite was one who was separated unto the Lord. That's what that vow means, Nazarite. He is separated unto me, God said. And he said, Miss Manoah, in your pregnancy, you need to do these things because when the baby's born, he's going to have to do these things. He's going to be separated unto me. I'm giving him to you. You bring him into the world. He's to be separated unto me. And he's to follow these three principles with his life because he's mine. I want to ask you a question, friend, and you don't have to raise your hand. I want you to answer this in your heart. Does God in heaven have a right to do such a thing? You better believe he does. Do you think you deserve to be born? Do you think it's just coincidence that you showed up as a bouncing baby boy or girl? I'm going to tell you something. We need to go back and connect uh, with God a little bit here. We're not here apart from Him. We're not here unless God okays it. We're not here unless God says, I'm going to let this couple have this bouncing baby boy or girl and bring them into the world. Don't you ever think that God does not and should not have an opinion about you or should not govern your life because I'm telling you, friend, every one of us in this building are one breath away. We're one heartbeat away from going to meet our Maker. You cannot keep yourself alive and no doctor on the planet can keep you alive if God says, I'm bringing you home instantly. You're going to go. So we need to understand something, friend. God has every right in the world to say to this godly couple, I'm giving you a bouncing baby boy. I'm going to name him Samson. You're going to name him Samson. And he's going to be a Nazarite. And he is separated unto me. I did not volunteer to be a preacher. God called me. In fact, I didn't even want to be one. My daddy was one. I didn't want to be like my daddy and be a preacher. He didn't want to be a preacher. He was a pool shark and a guy that just ran with the world till he was 40 years old when God saved him and called him to preach. Friend, listen. This idea of separated unto God, that's how we ought to view our life. I, I'm His. I'm separated unto God. Well, to make a long story short, let, let, let me show you something. I believe when we come to the New Testament, there is a verse of Scripture, and it's been in my heart for many, many, many years, longer than I want to count, that I believe is the New Testament equal 
to a Nazarite vow in the Old Testament. I think when you and I become a Christian, when we give our heart and life to Jesus Christ, I believe it's God's intention that we take a vow to Him when we become a Christian. And in that vow, we're committing to Him. And it goes way beyond this Nazarite vow that we're looking at. It is a vow that we make to the Lord and that He wants us to make to Him because after all, He saved us. His Son died on the cross for us. He forgave us of our sin. He has given us eternal life. He's brought us out of darkness into light. And our life is surrendered to Christ Jesus. And I want you to look with me for a moment at this Christian's vow in, in the New Testament for a moment, okay? Romans chapter 12. Would you turn there for a moment with me? Romans chapter 12. And I want you to notice a couple of verses here. And I want you to notice this, this vow that we need to make to the Lord as a believer. Remember the Nazarite vow meant separated unto God. Look to what Paul said to the Roman believers. This is a verse to Christians, not the lost world. This is to Christians. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now let me paraphrase a little of that for us here for a moment. Paul is saying to the Christians, are you a Christian sitting out there? Are you a believer today? If you're a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then this is God's Word to you in your Christian life. If you're lost, this is not to you. John 3.16 is your verse if you've never been saved. God loves you and will save you if you'll trust Him. This verse is written to the person who has already trusted Christ, who is already a Christian. And He says to them, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, brothers and sisters in Christ, by the mercies of God, the mercies that God's poured out upon your life. Present your body a living sacrifice to God. Go back to that Nazarite vow. You go back and read that vow. It was a vow about the body, wasn't it? No strong drink. No wine. Don't eat anything unclean. Don't touch a dead carcass. In fact, the Nazarite vow was so strict, Samson wasn't even supposed to walk through a vineyard. Or even get close to a vineyard where the wine, where the grapes are growing. He's to stay away from it. Stay away from it. Get away from it. This is powerful as we see it in the scripture. God is saying to the Christian to me, He's saying, look, I want you to present your body to me. 
I want your body. From your head to the toes on your feet. And everything in between. I want your body. Now friend, we need to take that serious. And I want to tell you that we, we joke about some of these things. But I'm telling you, this is no joke. God says, I want your body. I want your body surrendered to me. Your body is my body and I want it surrendered to me. My friend, have you ever thought for a minute? Without your body, you're of no use to God on planet earth. Have you ever thought about that? Serve God on earth without a body. It's impossible. It's impossible. You can be without body parts. You can have no arms, no legs. You can serve God. You can have no voice, but you can serve God. But you take your body off the scene. And you're not going to be here. You're going to be in heaven with the Lord. So it's absolutely crucial and critical that we get this picture that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in this body. And it is through this body that Jesus is wanting to do His work on earth through me. And so this is what it's saying here in this verse 12, uh, verse chapter 12 of Romans verse 1. Your body is to be... Be presented to God as a living sacrifice. Not a dead one, but a living sacrifice. God needs you alive and well and serving Him. But now notice, here comes, this is where many of us get off the train, right here. This is where we opt out. This is where we say, God, I hear you, but I'm not going to do it, right here. If we can surrender our body to God, we're okay with that. Yeah, God, I'll give you my body. I've given you my heart. And so you can have my body too. But, but this next verse is what gets us. Do not be conformed to this world. Oh, oh, well, wait, now wait a minute, wait a minute. No. Do not be conformed to this world, but treat, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, friend... God wants you and me to be in this world and He's going to use us in this world in our body. But He wants our body surrendered to Him and then He wants us to not conform to the world. I watched the news last night. I'm, I'm excited about the Titans. I hope we win. But I'm not going to hold my breath. That Patrick Mahone, man, that guy is some quarterback. And I'm going to be watching that game. But I get so mad and irritated. I can't help it. I'm a preacher. I was watching the news last night. and They were down in Kansas City at the bar. Down at the bar. We're here with all the Titan fans at the bar. We're down drinking and having a big time. The Titans have rolled into town. And I thought to myself, why can't anybody go report anything and it not be at a bar? Not guzzling alcohol. Am I the only one left that still believes drinking's wrong? Still believes getting drunk is wrong? 
still believe that doing all this stuff that the world does is wrong. Am I the only guy left like that? Surely I'm not. I think some of you are. See, some of you almost wanting to try to say amen and shake your head a little bit, but you don't want to get... I mean, folks, listen, listen to me. What's happened to us in the body of Christ? Why is it that we want heaven, but we don't want God to use us, and we don't want to be different? Why is it that, that we want to lock arms with the world and kiss up to the world? And follow the world. What is it about us that cannot say, Yes, God, I'll be like Samson. I'll be a New Testament Nazarite unto the Lord. I'm going to give up strong drink. I'll give up the wine. I'll give up the alcohol. I'll give up the drugs. I'll give up the sex outside of marriage. I'll give up the cruising around, the living around. I'll give up that lifestyle of the world. God, to please you who saved me by your glorious power and gave me eternal life. Folks, I'm just telling you, I just don't think some of us, it's dawned on us yet. That we're going to stand before God someday. And we're going to give an account. We just don't get it. We're going to stand before Him one of these days. And God's going to look at us. And He's going to say, what in the world were you? Did you think I put Samson in the Old Testament as an example? So you followed in his footsteps? No. I put Samson in the Old Testament so you'd see what a tragedy. Life can become when you don't do things God's way. Be not conformed to this world. Now let me just take a time out. Everybody can not even listen. Only youth and college age students. Only ones I want to talk to. I know your age thinks I'm a fool. I get it. I know that the majority of the college students are never going to go off to school and believe and do what this old preacher's talked about. Okay, I get it. I know that. But if one does, if one does, if two or three of you get it right, like my brother at UT, they put a $100 bill on the table and said to Barry Wood, drink that beer and that $100 bill is yours. He said, no thank you. I serve Jesus Christ. If one or two gets it and does it, praise be to God who is in heaven. If one lives a pure life, praise be to God in heaven. Friend, I'm not here throwing judgment or casting judgment. I'm no fool. My wife shows me what's on Facebook. I see people, not any of you, no, that I have pastored before at the bars doing this, that, and the other. And I think, oh my goodness, you mean I preached all those years and had no effect. I get it. I'm just saying, friend, what is wrong with us? Why can't we as Christians 
live for Jesus. Why? Don't you tell me Jesus agreed with drinking. He did not. I'll argue that. I'll debate that with you till I die. Jesus did not affirm alcohol. He didn't. I'm just saying to you, friend, why can't we say no to the world and get away from the world and say yes to Jesus? I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to be separated unto Jesus. He is my Savior. He paid the price. He bought me with his sin, with his blood from my sin. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I'm giving up the ways of the world. I'm giving up the habits of the world. I'm giving up being approved by the world. I'm giving up wanting to be loved by the world. I want to serve Jesus with all of my life. He says in this verse, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove, live it out, weekly, daily, monthly, yearly, what is that good and acceptable and that perfect will of God. Well, I've run out of time. Samson failed to honor his parents. He had a wrong marriage. He married a Philistine girl instead of an Israelite girl. And God said that's wrong. He violated the word of God. He failed to honor his Nazarite vow. He failed to accomplish God's will and what God wanted him to do. I've got a couple of quotes and we're finished. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, an American poet, made this statement. Great is the art of beginning, but greater is the art of ending. Dr. Junior Hill, a Southern Baptist evangelist, preached in some of the greatest pulpits all over the country of the United States. Met with a group of us young preachers years ago and he said these words. Pray that I might finish well. He said I've preached in all of these churches. Wouldn't it be a tragic end if here at the end of my lifetime I fail to be what God wants me to be. Pray that I might finish well. My friend... I think you and I today ought to be committed like Manoah and his wife and say, oh God, we're going to do things right. We cannot affect how our children are going to turn out. Our grandchildren are going to turn out. We can't affect all of these things, but we're going to do it your way, God. And I think we, as Christians in this room, need to say, I began my walk with Jesus Christ. My life has been up and down. I've gone into sin. I've come out of sin. I've had struggle after struggle. I'm now getting things back right with the Lord. And we ought to be able to say, Oh God, help me that I might finish well this race.
That's what the Apostle Paul said in his dying declaration who wrote the book of Romans. He said, I have fought a good fight. And it is a fight, isn't it? I've finished the course. And he did finish it. And he said, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness in heaven that the righteous judge is going to give me. And not to me only, but to all of those that love his appearing. Well, my friend, would you bow with me as we pray? We just ask God that you do a work in our hearts and lives, Father. I don't ask people in this group today, Father, to agree with everything I've said. I'm only a human vessel. I can only speak from my life experiences, from what I've seen as a pastor in the lives of people over the years. But, oh God, you are the only one that can make the difference. I'm asking only one thing, Father, and that is today that your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit would confirm in the lives of your people today the truth that I've shared with them. Lord, if I've been on my own making statements, fine. They don't have to believe me. But I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will just bring confirmation to lives of people, Lord, what you want us to do and what you want of us as your dear children. Lord, that we cannot be conformed to the world and that we can honor and serve and love you. Bless all of the parents here today, Lord, that are going to face struggles tomorrow, that have faced them in the past. Just strengthen them. God, be near to all of us here in this room that have followed in the example of Samson. We violated every vow, God, that we had made or our parents had made for us to follow. But Lord, we thank you that you're still a great merciful and loving God with much grace to forgive and to give us a second chance. God, we thank you for that. Now, Lord, lead us in this time of invitation. We honor and praise you. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.